Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I heard that in seminary uh, for the first time. Now you say, wait a minute, Matt. I know you. You grew up in the church. You've heard that a million times. No, but I heard it in seminary for the first time because it was delivered by one of our professors who said this is a worship service between earth and heaven. And the prophet is crying out and he's calling to the angels in the spiritual world and the humans in the physical world to cry out together to sing praises of God from whom all blessings flow and all things. We believe in this church that there is a spiritual world and there's a physical world and they are fully integrated. And that's what makes sense of a lot of things. So with that in mind, uh, I want to read a passage to you. My name is Matt, by the way. I'm, uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Our senior pastor and regular teaching pastor, Tom, is now up at his daughter Morgan's graduation. It's one of those seasons of life, and some of you will understand this, when every week there's something huge, right? So he had one daughter graduate from high school. Then he has another daughter graduating from college. Then she's going to get married in, short, <laughs> in a short amount of time. But other than that, Tom's got nothing going on. So, um, uh, so that's where uh, Tom and the Hendrickses are. Uh, so you can be praying for peace for them. And really pray for them that they can just hit pause on the urgencies of life and savor these precious times. Um, Do pray for them uh, and pray that they come back safely (laughs) as well. Uh, But anyway, I'm I'm Matt, one of the pastors here, and it's it's my honor to to bring this to you today. Uh, let uh, Let me read to you from John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Let me pray. Lord God, great shepherd of the sheep, I pray for my brothers and sisters and me that you would shepherd us even in this moment, that you would open our eyes to things we've never seen. You would open our eyes to things broken that have become too familiar. That you would open our eyes beyond the valley of the shadow of death to the light in the future that will reign over all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're going to look at what it means that Jesus is the good shepherd. This is one of the eight I am statements. And this is important. As you're studying scripture, if you're part of this church, if you're part 
the Christian faith, if you're interested in seeking the Christian faith, uh, you need to become a student of all of God's Word. You need to take it in and savor it. I mean, you say, I don't have time to do that. I don't have time to read eight I am statements and 30 references to shepherds and other places in Scripture and all these things. Well, listen, let me tell you this. Uh, it's kind of like exercise. Every time I work out in the morning, I do everything better the rest of the day. Making the space to get into Scripture and spiritually exercise not only your mind but your heart will change everything. The Gospel changes everything, right? And going, uh, making that effort to get into God's Word through personal worship and all these things through, and all of His Scriptures as you encounter these moments in them is like exercising in the morning. It'll make everything else go better. It'll make, uh, it'll make you approach everything else more effectively. So, with that in mind, these are uh, one of the things you need to know is that I am the Good Shepherd is one of eight I am statements that Jesus made in the Gospel of John uh, to help us understand His nature, His character, His purpose on earth. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the true vine, the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then in this passage, He says, I am the door I am the good shepherd. Those go together. And you'll, hear, you'll understand why in a minute. But he says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. But the, most, uh, the, the only one that makes all of these make real sense is the last one. And that is, I am. He says that in John 8. And it's actually very uh, scandalous back in his day. Because what he says, they ask him who he is. And he quotes from Genesis. When... God, when Moses asks, or Exodus, when Moses asks God who he is when he's in the burning bush, and Moses is still kind of uh, phenomenological, you know, he's still trying to figure out gods and things, and he says, Who are you? And God says, I am. I was, I am, I will be. There is none other but me. I'm bigger, I'm greater, I'm infinite, I'm, I'm omnipotent, I'm all-powerful, all-knowing, I'm all-everything. He just says, I am. So Jesus makes this very scandalous statement to these religious leaders who, by the way, were the thieves and robbers he was talking about. He says, I am. I was, I am. I am to come. Now, why is that in, um, so important? Because when Jesus says that He is the Good Shepherd, He doesn't mean a Good Shepherd. He means the Good Shepherd. He says there's a God who tends over us like a Good Shepherd tends His sheep. And I am Him. So to truly access what it means that Jesus is the Good Shepherd, you have to not only understand sheep and shepherds back in those days, which we'll talk about, but you have to open your mind to this premise that Jesus is God in the flesh. And I say that to both Christians and non-Christians, people who've grown up in the church, seekers, the curious. Uh, you cannot stop at the good teachings of Jesus. You cannot stop at His model of love and humility. You just cannot stop there. He will not let you. He demands that you deal with His claim to be God because He wants all of you. So, if you don't start there, Christian, then you're just going to get in a lot of nice platitudes about how good shepherds protect you and things and how sheep are, are dumb and weak and you need to trust the Lord. And if you walk out of here and that's all you get, you've missed it. That's good and it's true, but it's not all of it. You have to open your mind to that premise that, that Jesus was God in the flesh, that He intervened in time and space to reveal spiritual and eternal things about God and about us. 
And if you don't open your mind to that possibility, and I say that to everybody, then you actually miss the riches of this passage. And here they are. The message of this passage is that you need a shepherd of your soul. And there is only one who can shepherd your soul. And that's Jesus. So why is this particularly important in our culture, in our historical moment? You're familiar with the Gallup Research Organization. So Gallup, uh, since its inception, has been doing surveys regularly about belief in God. And for decades, decades all the way back to World War II, like 1944, belief in God has remained pretty stable in the low 90%, low mid 90% fluctuated in there. Uh, That's been true, 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 true. Uh, until very recently, we started to see a shift. Now, what's interesting is that the belief in God in the United States is still at around 90%. So that means um, people do still believe in God. They, stu- they, they really still do believe that in some way there is a spiritual, supernatural world that transcends the physical world we live in. Um, but something's happened. Something, uh, what's interesting about that is that think about what that has endured, that belief in God. Okay, so it's endured in, during, this, during and right before the Gallup research. Um, Gallup research began asking this question kind of after the God is dead movement. The rational movement, the intellectual movement, the academic movement that said there is no God, here's why, and had all these proofs and rational reasons there was no God. So it survived that. It goes up to World War II. It survives the atrocities of World War II. The, just the inexplainable evils of World War II. It survives that. In fact, belief in God even goes up a little bit in the decades after World War II. It survives the 60s cultural revolution where everything, every rule, every belief was supposed to be challenged. Where the belief of the day was challenged beliefs survives. 90 plus percent of people believe in God. It continues on. It goes through the materialistic distractions of the 80s and the 90s where money was king, where greed was good. It makes it through that. But something's happened in recent years that's a little interesting. It still kind of hovers around 90%, but you know what's changed? Confidence. Doubt has increased. Questions have increased. Instabilities of thought have increased as we've moved away from the historicity, from the idea that, that God is more than just a collection of ideas, that Jesus is more than just a good, wise, God, wise teacher. As we've moved away from this idea that Jesus is God, that the Bible is historical, which we've been talking about for several weeks, doubt has risen. Insecurity about your beliefs in God and the supernatural has risen. Especially among young people. 20% of Americans now say that they don't identify with any specific religious group. That number is 32% among people under 30 years old and rising. So here's why it's so important for us to think about what it means that Jesus is the good shepherd today. Because do you know what correlates with this declining certainty in the existence and knowability of God? Depression. Fear, anxiety, eating disorders, addictions, mindless violence, narcissism. Do I need to make a case for you in our culture that we struggle with despair? Psychologist Rollo May, years ago, described it like this. The inability to construct a future. Yea, we walk in the valley of the shadow of death. 
and we see not beyond. You know what that sounds like to me? It sounds like sheep without a shepherd. Because there is land beyond the shadow of death. St. Augustine says life is the shadow of death. But for the shepherd who leads us into the beyond. So you wonder why we're despairing. You wonder why we're discouraged. You wonder why we struggle. We seek distractions. It's because we are sheep without a shepherd. So that's why it's so important we look at this today. God uses a lot of metaphors to teach us about Him um, and about life and the world. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite metaphors is the metaphor of the sheep and the shepherd. Now, it's lost a little bit of richness to us today because we all don't have uh, sheep folds attached to our houses and things like that. Uh, but for the ancient reader, it was profound. It was powerful. So we need to bring that alive a little bit today because here's the deal. <clears throat> the ancient reader knew sheep they knew shepherds. They knew the beauty and the perils for sheep and shepherds and all those things. And back in those days, and in some places it's still true today, sheep were everything to people and shepherds were everything to sheep. Okay, so for the average person, a sheep was, uh, you know, it was life. It was food. It was clothing. Um, it was all these kinds of things. They would become personally attached to their sheep. They'd name their sheep. Um, uh, sheep were life and death for them. Um, Kept him health. So, so in order to do that, the shepherd was an incredibly important person in their culture. Even though by Jesus' time, shepherds were very looked down on, the fact was they were extremely important to the culture because they provided protection. They kept the sheep healthy. They nourished them so that they'd go and fulfill their purpose. Did you hear that? The shepherd would care for, guide, protect, nurture, nourish so that they could fulfill their purpose. That's what he did. So what he would do, the shepherd, uh, during the day, he would lead the sheep into safe pasture. And while he was there, he'd protect them from thieves and predators. He'd find them when they wandered off. He'd make sure that the pasture was good for food and they weren't eating, you know, poison mushrooms or whatever. He would do all those things. And then at night, the shepherd would bring them back into the sheepfold. And sometimes there were many sheep in one fold. So different shepherds, different sheep, one sheepfold. Or they would just be one sheepfold attached to a house and, uh, or standing alone with the sheep of that shepherd in it. And he'd bring them into the sheepfold, and here's what he would do. This is where the door thing comes in. He would sit at the entrance of the sheepfold. He would become the door. So the sheep couldn't go out, and no one could come in, but through the door. That was the shepherd. That's what they knew. Let me tell you something else they remembered. Who was the most famous shepherd in the Bible that you can think of? Anybody? Shout it out if you think of somebody. David, I'm glad you said that. I would have been really embarrassed if there's somebody else I'd forgotten. You know, John the Baptist was a shepherd. Oh, no. Um, he wasn't. He just wandered around the desert eating locusts and wearing camel's fur and stuff like that. So, yeah, King David. King David, before he was King David and the king of the Jews, right? So David was the messianic king of the Jews. He was the, the king that had been prophesied uh, that would come and deliver the, the people of Israel and make them a holy nation and a nation set on a hill that would bless all the nations. That was King David. But, you know, before that, he was a shepherd. You know, when we think of shepherds, it's the same kind of deal. You imagine them in watercolors on a flannel graph when you're a little kid in Sunday school like me. And, and they're all sweet and meek and mild and all. And that's true, they are. But, but there's this awesome, awesome thing that you need to, to, to imagine in your mind when you think about Jesus, the Good Shepherd. So King David, before he was King David, was a little boy, he was a boy and he was a shepherd. 
And if you know the story, you know that the Israelites were up against the Philistines who were a superior army and they had a superior guy, Goliath, who was maybe literally eight feet tall. But he was like Shaquille O'Neal, you know, he was eight feet tall, but he could play like a six-footer, you know. He was massive and he was powerful. And basically the Philistines said, all right, if you can defeat our giant, we'll surrender. We'll, we'll give up. <laughs> so, out from the masses of the army who are all kind of going, I'll go if you go. I'm not going to go. You're going to go. I'll go if you go. Comes this little shepherd boy who is probably somewhere between 12 and 15 years old. It literally says of David, the Lord pulled him from the sheepfolds. So David comes to make his case to King Saul, who is the warrior king of Israel. Now, Saul, it says, was big. He was like shoulders above everybody. And he was a seasoned warrior. He had battle scars. He had muscle. He had armor. So here comes 12-year-old David to King Saul. And this is how David makes his case. 1 Samuel 17. Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth. He's been a man of war since from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and I delivered him out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, Go, <laughs> and God be with you. That's a shepherd. A shepherd is tender and kind and meek and mild with his sheep, but he is ferocious against their enemies. He's shrewd and cunning and fast as lightning. Sly as a fox in defense of his sheep. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. To foreshadow the coming of the great shepherd, God the Father chose a shepherd as his king. So, I'm going to walk you through my personal worship this week. That's what it means, that Jesus is your good shepherd. Let me tell you where that came from for me. If you're new to us, every week we get the passage at the beginning of the week, and we walk through remembering God, being honest about ourselves, self-examination, fearless moral inventory, if you know that language. We rest in God's grace, remember what He's done for us, we receive His wisdom, and then we get sent out. So I'm going to walk you through mine this week. First thing, remember, Christ is the shepherd. He's the door. He's the way of safe pasture. He's the way of rest. He knows your name. Did you hear that in there? I know my sheep's name. That word known in Scripture is often not just an intellectual knowledge. It is an emotional, relational connection. You know, it says, Adam knew Eve and they conceived. He knows your name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He chases after you when you're lost. 
It says he'll leave the 99 behind to go after the one who has strayed. Sometimes you're lost for circumstances beyond your control and sometimes you wander off in your own ignorance and stubbornness and he chases after you. In Psalm 23, written by David the shepherd king, it says his rod and his staff, they comfort you. Now that seems odd because the rod was the weapon of war and defense and struggle and probably the weapon of discipline, instrument of discipline. And the staff was the thing that he snatched you with. <laughs> he picked you up when you wouldn't, didn't have the sense to, to come to him on your own. Well, David says that his rod of discipline, his staff of correction, comfort him. Scripture says the Lord disciplines those He loves. St. Augustine said His rod and His staff are the very evidence that God is mindful of me. That's God the Good Shepherd. Be honest with yourself. You're the sheep. Think about the implications of that. You must understand yourself in relation to the shepherd. Do you ever think about that? If there is no shepherd, and this is one of the reasons we all wander around banging our heads against the wall, because we're just trying to compare ourselves to the other sheep. We're trying to become the king of the sheep. And if there were no shepherd, maybe that would be the smart thing to do. But if there is a shepherd, it's like the dumbest thing you can do. To try and be the chief sheep. But there's a shepherd. So you, have to, you can only understand yourself in relationship to the shepherd. Listen, you're not dumb. Sometimes pastors say sheep are dumb. That's not true. You're not dumb, but he's infinitely wiser. You're not weak, but He's infinitely more powerful. You need to be loved. Hear this. You have a need to be loved. He is love. He has no need to be loved. His heart is full. And you can't draw from it to diminish it. You need love. He is love. You can only understand yourself as a sheep in relation to the shepherd. Second thing, sheep are gentle creatures by nature. Sheep are gentle creatures by nature. If you're a sheep, you're a person of peace. There's a famous old uh, Puritan pastor named Thomas Watson who said, I would rather suffer wrong than do wrong. <laughs> Think about that in traffic. But you know who else said things like that? People like Martin Luther King. People who suffered real persecution. I would rather suffer wrong than do wrong. That expression, two wrongs don't make a right. I would rather suffer wrong than do wrong. Sheep are, sheep are creatures of peace. Sometimes I might lose my temper or have a fit about something, but that's not my nature. And here's what Watson says. I grieve for it and I weep for my unmortified passions. When I lose my temper, when I lose my cool, when I reach out in anger and unfettered passion, in unmortified passion, I repent of that. I grieve that. I realize that there is nothing justified in that. And I seek to return to that place of peace in my soul because that is what a sheep does. That's who a sheep is. Last one, as I'm honest with myself, I admit that I'm prone to wander. All like sheep have gone astray, it says in Isaiah 53. It's in your nature to forget. And hear these words. It's in your nature to forget the shepherd 
and his warnings. You're going to be predisposed to do that, to forget the shepherd and his warnings, to get too busy, to get too preoccupied, too distracted by a relationship or a desire. You're going to be predisposed to wonder what the next pastor looks like or if another shepherd might do something more for you. Sheep are prone to wander. But that's where we rest in His grace. That's where Jesus is more than just a wise teacher or a good shepherd who protects us when we pray. You see, Christ is not only the shepherd, He is also the Lamb. In Isaiah 53, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. John the Baptist introduced Jesus to the world in John by saying, Behold the what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In Revelation, there are 30 references to Christ as what? The Lamb. This is the work that had to be done for, by Jesus for you. He made Himself the sacrifice for your sins, your faults, your failures. He made it possible for you to know God. Not just with your mind, but with your heart. And this is one of the primary qualifications of Jesus for His shepherdhood. It's that He knows what it's like to be the Lamb. He was the Lamb. He was pure and unblemished like the lamb that was to be sacrificed on the day of atonement, the day of forgiveness of sins practiced by the Jews for thousands of years. He was the unblemished lamb sacrificed for the sins of all who would trust in Him once for all. Jesus did more than just teach and model love and kindness. Jesus did the work of salvation for you. That's why the Good Shepherd has to be more than just a good guy. So I've remembered. I've been honest. I've rested. Now I receive His wisdom. Here's the question I ask. Here's what I remembered as I considered this. You know, I will be shepherded by someone or something. I will give someone or something authority over me to shepherd me. Those shepherds who lead me to poison pastures, who promise me prosperity but exploit me instead. I will choose a shepherd. Every one of you in this room has a shepherd. So in this passage, Jesus talks about the thief, the false shepherd. In the ancient times, those were the false prophets. Those were the Pharisees that, that um, did what I just said, led people to poison pastures, exploited people for their own gain. What is it today? What does it mean today? Every person, book, movie, song, thing that comes to you and offers you something or someone other than Jesus to shepherd you is the thief. So two examples that came to mind in my own personal worship. And you know that one of these, both of these are hobby horses for me. Hatred gospel. Hatred gospel. Let me tell you what that is. Fear, anxiety, discouragement, anger, bitterness as the end of a communication. Every time I listen to this person or this show or this whatever, every time I do it, it's about anger, hatred, bitterness, 
objectification of people and groups of people, and that's where it ends. Hatred gospel. Jim Daly, I don't remember if Tom mentioned this last week, but Jim Daly, the president of Focus, the new, relatively new president of Focus on the Family, he's a wonderful guy, by the way, uh, told a story of being on, um, on uh, one of the news networks. And he was on, he was invited onto a, an opinion an opinion show on one of these news networks. And on the show, it was him and a, and a Republican and then a, a very liberal Democrat. And um, the, the announcer, the, the, the host of the show is very conservative. And he said, he sat there and he, first he met the liberal Democrat who, who shared very different views from him. And the first thing she said to him is, oh my gosh, I grew up listening to the folks on the family radio show. I love you guys. I just, I've always loved, you know, I've, I've raised my kids with your advice. She's like, so then the show starts, and the announcer, the host, starts attacking, attacking, attacking this woman, just, blah, blah, you're evil enemy, blah, 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 and assigning horrible motives and stupidity to her, literally using those words. They go to commercial break. They go to commercial break. He asks her to dinner. He has a conversation with her and asks her if she wants to go to dinner. Camera comes back on. Boom, bang, boom, boom. The howitzer comes out. Go to commercial break. Oh, say, it's 7, seven o'clock okay? It's theater. It's theater. And put yourself on either side or any direction of the partisan map and realize there is a hatred gospel that you have to resist as, resist as a sheep whose shepherd is Jesus. Do not let that shepherd your soul. Coffee shop conversations. Social media. If someone gives you permission to hate, to mock, to belittle, or objectify another person or group, do not let that person shepherd your heart or mind. Do not let them do it. Turn them off, shut them down, defriend them, whatever you've got to do. Unfollow them, sorry. I dated myself a little there. Second, a second kind of, of false shepherd. Thief, prosperity gospel. And I say this to not only you Christians, but to people who have really been put off by Christianity because of this. Um, anyone who makes Christianity about you, anybody who makes Christianity about solving your problems, helping you achieve your goals, comfort, wealth, status, that's a false gospel. That's not the gospel of the shepherd. The shepherd is cultivating you and nurturing you and protecting you so that you might be useful. For the redemption of His kingdom. For the beauty of His kingdom. For the flourishing of His people. Do not let shepherds of the hatred gospel or the prosperity gospel shepherd your soul. Those are false shepherds, thieves and robbers. So the wisdom for me and the wisdom for you is who are you letting shepherd you? So the last thing. We go out. We remember, we're honest, we rest, we receive, we go. The word of Jesus is to be a shepherd. You're a sheep who is groomed into a shepherd. When Jesus was resurrected, he, he appeared to his disciples and he, was, he confronted, he engaged his chief disciple Peter. It was very interesting, kind of one of the last charges he gave to his chief disciple. Do you remember what he did? He said, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, of course. Tend my sheep. He says it again. Peter, do you love me? Lord, yes. Of course I love you. Tend my sheep. Peter, 
do you love me? Lord, what do I have to say? What do I have to do to prove that I love you? Here's what you need to do. You need to shepherd my sheep. Christian, you are a shepherd of sheep. In your home, in your workplace, at the coffee shop, in your social network, you are a shepherd of the sheep. That is why Christ has shepherded you. That's why He has tended to you. He loves you. He knows your name. And He has a purpose for you. And it is to shepherd His sheep. So I want to close. I want to, I want to introduce you to somebody. This is my friend Mika. Mika played Rafiki in The Lion King last week. And I wish you could see her face close up, but it is so powerful. There is so much... Uh, it, it is Rafiki. She, she channeled Rafiki. It's like, it's like she became Rafiki the wise. If you know the story of the Lion King, you know that Rafiki was, was the wise elder of Pride Rock. The one who spoke in with wisdom at just the right moments. The one who was passionate and loving and gracious, but cut to the heart. Well, she played Rafiki. And let me tell you what, I think Rafiki was in her all along. Now, I knew Mika before this. This is the, the Mika that I met years ago. And that's her on the left. That's my daughter Rachel on the right. And she might be mortified when she sees this picture in the second service. But <laughs> she's awfully cute though, isn't she? So that's Mika there on the, in the striped shirt. That's little Mika. And I asked Mika's permission to, to tell this story. And Mika really is just, she reflects a lot of those kids over there that I know. Uh, Mika and my daughter are getting ready to graduate the eighth grade. They've been there all along since the beginning together. And little Mika was a ball of energy and passion and, and just sort of unfettered, at times, rage. And you, you all have, you know, there's kids out there. You know what I'm talking about. Mika was like the, the um, Cyclops, the character in the X-Men. Cyclops was the kid that um, he had this incredible power where just this almost infinite light and energy could emit from his eyes, you know, but except he had no control over it. So he'd lose his temper and his eyes would just go off and they'd be shooting everywhere and setting everything on fire. And something happened for, the Cyclo for Cyclops, right? Along came the shepherd. And the shepherd and his friends surrounded him and they began to teach him to control his anger, to control his passions, to discipline himself, to realize that this thing that he hated about himself was actually that which when properly harnessed would make him beautiful and useful and powerful. And that is what happened in the life of my dear Mika. For the last many years, a line of teachers and classmates, friends, counselors walked with Mika. Some of you are in this room. Some of you might have a lump in your throat because you've known Mika. They shepherded her. And she became who she had always been. Truly, she channeled all of that and she became Rafiki, the wise. Be a shepherd. People need shepherds who know the great shepherd.
and have been tended by him. We all need the great shepherd, and he is available to you. He says, come and find rest. Let's pray. O great shepherd of the sheep, call out the names of people in this room who have never been invited into your sheepfold. Call out their names and open their ears that they might hear. Whether they've grown up in the church or never been to a church, reach beyond the religion, reach beyond the culture and the habits, reach into their hearts and their minds. Let them know that they are known. Let them hear your voice and draw them in. And for those sheep who have heard your voice and come to you and known you, send us out, Lord. Make us useful. Make us strong. Make us humble. Make us people of peace. Chip away at everything in us that does not look like Christ in us. That we might be useful agents in the building of your kingdom. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.